What's up, y'all? We are back with another edition of the DNBR Rams podcast. As always, I'm your host, Justin Michael. We are going to continue our position preview series on this podcast. We're going to talk about the offensive line and the defensive line. I'm also going to dive into my preseason top 25. I'm going to be giving out a weekly top 25 for the pod poll. It's not an official ranking, obviously, but it is constructed of podcast hosts from across the country. Both me and Jake Schwanitz of the Buffs Beat are participating. Cody Tucker from Wyoming. Uh, the Mountain West Wire, I believe, has a vote. It's pretty cool. Before we dive into all this football talk, I do want to focus a little bit on CSU volleyball. I think it's an exciting year coming up under first-year head coach Emily Cohen. Definitely big shoes to fill, taking over for longtime head coach Tom Hilbert. I actually asked her about the pressure of that, and we're going to play about six minutes of audio of me, Mike Brohard, and Kevin Lytle asking her questions. She touches on her relationship with Hilbert, how he's still active in the program, Uh, Kevin asks her about the biggest difference from being an assistant coach to being a head coach. I asked her again, you know, about the pressure of taking over for a legend like Hilbert. I also asked her, though, if she would be open to playing a volleyball match in a football stadium. The University of Nebraska is doing it. They sold something absurd, like 70,000 tickets. That program is very unique, probably the most supported program in the country. But I do think you could pull off something like it in Fort Collins. Are you going to sell 70,000 tickets? No, you don't even have the capacity for that. But this is a community that supports volleyball in a way that most Power 5 programs can only dream of. And it turns out that Cohen and Hilbert have actually talked about the idea in the past. So I think you guys are going to enjoy the answer. If you're not into volleyball, you can always skip forward. But I urge you to check it out. I think this team is going to be really good. Outside hitter Kennedy Stanford's back after back-to-back all-conference seasons. She led CSU with 354 kills a season ago. They had Emery Herman from the University of Arizona. She had over 1,000 assists over the past two years with the Wildcats. It's a nice mix on this roster. They have a nice balance of returning talent and key transfer additions. And on top of that, they play a really intriguing schedule. The season openers against number 10 Kentucky. The night after that, number two Stanford comes to town. I mean, talk about a way to kick off your head coaching career if you're Emily Cohen with a pair of top 10 opponents coming into your gym. After that, the Rams hit the road. They go to Greeley and Arkansas. Both of those squads beat CSU last year, so you have an opportunity at redemption. And after that, you still have matches against Michigan, number 15 Baylor, a home-and-home with CU. It's an awesome schedule, the type of schedule that If the Rams are able to get off to a hot start, it's really going to catch some attention nationally. All right, we're going to play that audio of Emily Cohen answering questions from me, Kevin Lytle, and Mike Brohard. It's about six, six and a half-ish minutes. But first, I want to talk to you guys about game time. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. And with game time, it's the fastest, easiest way to buy tickets for anything. Sports, music, comedy, theater. If you need tickets, they are going to have killer last-minute deals. I know that Ram fans tend to buy tickets pretty last minute. Game time's perfect. Right now you can get uh, tickets in the lower 200 level for the Washington State game for about 40 bucks. And the cool thing about game time is you get images of your seat before you even buy. So you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. You can buy your tickets in just a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. 
Snag your tickets without stress using GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use the code DNVR for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code DNVR for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. The 2023 Rugby Town Sevens Tournament will take place at Infinity Park from Friday, August 25th through Sunday, August 27th. 20 teams from all over the world will compete for a $10,000 grand prize. The tournament consists of 62 matches over the course of three days. Tickets are $10 per day, $20 for a weekend pass. Kids 12 and under are free. If you're looking for a way to get into rugby, check out the DNBR Rugby Podcast. My guy Colton Strickler is the host. He's a CSU alum, and as we all know, Rams support Rams. He has exclusive interviews with athletes and coaches. You can learn the sport with his 101 pods. It's the best way to get into the sport. Rugby Town 7's tickets start at just $10. Visit AmericanRaptors.com to learn more. And if you didn't get the ticket you wanted as an elite athlete, check out the opportunities at Infinity Park. Rugby may just be your next ride. This being your first year, Tom has a sense of sarcasm. Did he leave you any words of wit as he exited and you entered? He leaves me lots of words of wisdom. Yeah. How many of them can you repeat? Um... To the public, not many. No, <laughs> uh, he's still he's a good dear friend, and I I think there's more days that I talk to Tom still than when I don't talk to Tom. So um, he helps run our NIL collective with the Green and Gold Guard for the volleyball team. Um, so he's still very involved with our team and our program. But um, even just volleyball X's and O's, he's still a good friend that I can bounce ideas off of. So how excited are you to finally have this chance at this role to be a head coach and lead a program in Europe? Yeah, I'm. Thrilled. I mean, I this has always been plan A for me. I'm from Colorado. Um, my grandpa played football here. My dad and brother went here. So I grew up in this house of Rams fans. And um, I think if I ever would have taken a job at CU, I would have been disowned. Um, but it's been uh, always the plan to move back here to raise my family. I have a two and a half year old and a three month old. And um, my three month old is currently sick and my mom's here. And so that was an easy fix that the support system that coaches need to be successful with um, their family and where my husband wants to live and can work with his job. Um, this is always a dream. So now I also get to lead a team that I firmly believe in. Uh, I helped recruit all of them that are on this team. And um, they're the they're the team that I wanted to choose to coach in my first experience. And so, um, yeah, it's it's awesome. What's the biggest shift as you kind of you know, move up the bench from the assistant to the head coach? It's my first year of having to deliver like starting and non-starting news. And that was always one of my least favorite weeks, even as an assistant, where I was kind of happy to be the assistant and be like, well, you do it. Um, and so, um, again, I have tried to tell to our team that my currency for how much I care about them can't be measured in playing time because it's a net zero game. Right. By me playing one person and not playing someone else um, is the same as if it's vice versa. And uh, I do care about them as people and individuals and what their um, lifelong goals and things that we can help them with achieve with that. But um, that's probably the hardest part. I think in the past few years, Tom's done an excellent job of mentoring me to be prepared for the admin side of head coaching. He would take me as an assistant to the Mountain West head coaches meetings. Um, and he would make sure I would be involved at the table with our biggest donors and things like that. And so um, that part I feel pretty prepared for because for the past few years we've known it's coming with Tom. And so he wanted to give me my best foot forward with that. Obviously you've been in Moby for playing these big matches, but what's it going to be like next weekend? Obviously two top 10 teams, you have the whiteouts started like, 
Uh, I know obviously there's prep before that, but yeah. have you kind of let yourself think about what's going to be like the start the head coaching career you know for sure atmosphere yeah i've never been a nervous person as a player i don't feel like i ever got that nervous and as assistant i didn't get that nervous and as a head coach all of a sudden like i'm like what is this feeling inside of me because i'm a little bit nervous um but i you know i say that to the girls too of like we can't perform at our peak without some sorts of stress um that's a studied science and so um i'm trying to think of it as a good thing and reframe it of like, yep, we're going to have some nerves. They're going to have some nerves in front of 8,000 fans. Um, and some of them have never played in Moby before too. So we're all going through this together that um, we will probably make some mistakes somewhere along the way of this season. And we're going to be patient. We're going to work it out. But in the long run, I think that we got the right people on the bus. It's obviously exciting first, uh, first opportunity as a head coach, but also is it a little bit unnerving just given the responsibility of trying to uphold this program that Tom has built? It's obviously not the same as most volleyball programs. For sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, I have big shoes to fill and I, I've like joked with myself, I have a shoe addiction anyway, so let's go. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, it does come with that, but what a, what a great opportunity. I think a lot of first time head coaches opportunities um, are at rebuild programs. Yeah. And so um, I, I feel very lucky that mine is not a rebuild program, but it does come with some expectation. But again, that's what I've recruited these players to come into, too. So why would I expect anything different out of myself? And no matter, I think, where I would have ended up as a first time head coach, um, I would have told myself I want to build championship teams. Um, but now I just get to do it earlier than what I think a lot of first time head coaches have to expect. You all have no shortage of quality opponents that come to Moby, and I think the atmosphere is probably a big part of that. I'm curious, I, I saw Nebraska, obviously, is a big program. They're going to play a game in the football stadium with yeah. 80,000 people. Would you be open to trying to do something like that here, or maybe being an opponent going into an atmosphere like that? I'm going to say seven years ago, me and Tom, when the stadium was first getting built, we were like, let's go throw a sport court down in front of the new Belgium porch. Hmm. And like we had, and then I saw Nebraska what a, a year-ish ago kind of announced they were going to do it. And me and Tom both texted each other. We were like, that was our idea. <laughs> um, so, yeah, because volleyball is a big deal in this community. Um, and I do think we could uh, have some excitement around it. And I think volleyball in the country has started to get get garner a lot of national media attention. So for the first time ever, they're going to play um, NCAA games on Fox this year after NFL games. And they're going to try to see on Sundays after a big football game, will people tune in and watch it? Because I think that's where a lot of media dollars and I'm going to say monetization of sports is um, trying to, to get to. So we're on ESPN. Um, obviously, a lot of places stream. We've watched attendance records fall across the country. And CSU Volleyball, I think, is primed to be in the mix of national attention because we have such great community support. And for some of those big schools that are on our um, schedule, like they called us, which I think yeah. is a testament to um, the players and the program and the history and Moby Arena. They want their teams to be playing in front of those kind of fans. All right, now that we have talked a little bit about CSU volleyball, let's get into football. Specifically, let's talk about this offensive line. I played some audio from Jay Norvell the other day, and I don't think I can say it any better than him, but this team's potential pretty much lives and dies with what happens in the trenches. I think the depth of the defensive line is, is awesome, and we're going to get into that. The offensive line, I feel a lot better about than I did going into last year. First of all, they've just been really consistent throughout the spring and all of fall camp. They've held up really well against that D-line, which is very talented. 
I'm not saying they're all of a sudden going to be an elite offensive line. They're going to be the best in the Mountain West or anything like that. But I don't think they'll be a liability. And I think the starting five, you know, should be more or less fine. Whether they have the depth to sustain injuries, that's a bit of a question mark for me. There are a couple guys who, if healthy, I do think could potentially be impactful rotational players, that being Brian Crespo-Hakez at offensive tackle, who's still coming back from that knee injury, and that's a tough spot. And then Andrew Cannon, an offensive guard that came over from Nevada, a guy who, when healthy, has been a really productive player and could be you know, even a starting guard if he's healthy. But that's a, that's a huge question mark as of now. The silver lining of the situation is that he has been on the field throughout fall camp. He's actually been running with the ones every now and then of late, him and Tavis Teodi kind of going back and forth at right guard. I still think it'll be Teodi that starts week one. But I mean, hey, there's still two weeks until that Washington State game. You never know if he can be consistent for a couple weeks. He's already been in this system at Nevada. He started eight games for the Wolfpack in 2021. That offense was really good. I could see them going with Cannon. Outside of injuries, I feel like right guard is really the only position that still feels like it's up in the air. At right tackle, it's going to be Drew Moss, who comes over from Lamar, six foot four, 300 pounds, has just done all the right things since coming over in the spring. I think they thought that they might be able to shift Moss over to right guard and potentially play uh, Bobby Lawrence, the Missouri transfer at right tackle. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Lawrence will be more of a rotational swing player and Moss will be the starting right tackle. Again, at right guard, I think it'll either be uh, Tavis Teodi or Drew Cannon. It's obviously a small sample size, but I like what I've seen out of Moss and I love everything that I've heard. It sounds like the guy is just a workhorse and really is just stoked to be here. He's got a great personality and I think he's one of those players that when Jay Norvell says some of these guys view being at CSU as the opportunity of a lifetime, that's a guy like Drew Moss who's really you know, embracing his opportunity after being a star at Lamar, but it's a big jump up. And I just think he's going to be a really solid addition for CSU. And I really like to hear stuff like that because I do think there are a lot of players that have been in this program in the last five, six years who had talent but their hearts weren't in it and their lack of effort kind of was the proof. All right, moving over to the left side at left tackle, it'll be Savion Henderson, six foot five, 305 pound junior. He comes over from Lane College. At the D2 level, he started 20 games at right tackle, every possible game. So very productive for them, has come over, has made a really strong impression with the staff. Many of the things I just praised Moss for, I think you could also praise Savion Henderson and also Oliver Jervis. I do think that coming over in the spring was a major advantage for those three and just for the general state of this offensive line, which obviously has to be significantly better than what we saw a year ago. You just cannot allow five sacks a game and expect to be able to do much of anything. I really am cautiously optimistic about this group, though, after seeing them throughout the spring and again here in fall camp. Uh, rounding out the starting five at left guard, it will be six foot five, 305 pound transfer Oliver Jervis. He comes over from Monmouth. One of the more experienced players on the roster, spent five seasons in that program, spent the last two as a starter. 
played in 35 total games, 24 starts in his career, started 10 games at left guard in 2022, 10 games at tackle in 2021. So you like the versatility. A lot of these guys have played multiple positions, which is good because you never know what might happen as far as, you know, injuries go and having to shift around. Perfect example of that. Jacob Gardner, who will be the team starting center, came in as the starting center a year ago, ended up having to play left tackle basically because they didn't trust anyone else on the roster. Was really good at left tackle, honestly, at least compared to everybody else on the roster. But now he's back at center. It's a more natural fit. He has a better opportunity to go pro at center, which is something the staff, I think, knows. But Gardner's a really talented offensive lineman of everybody in that starting five. He's probably who you would feel the most confident about, has the best opportunity, I would guess, to receive some type of all-conference recognition when it's all said and done. He's just a player that's made a, a strong impact and a strong impression, I should say, on the staff really ever since he came over. I mean, he started for Nevada as a freshman, came over to Fort Collins, and has been a leader for the program ever since. He's just a really savvy, intelligent football player, and he's a guy I like watching because he's gritty. He's not afraid to talk some shit, which I love in a center. You got to be tough if you're in the interior. You're going up against some big, nasty dudes in the defensive line, and you got to be able to hold your own. Gardner's not taking any crap from anybody, I'll tell you that. As far as other players that could potentially be in the mix, Keegan Hamilton obviously came in and impressed last year. He's now on scholarship, former walk-on center that ended up having to start for a couple of games. Six foot four, 300 pounds. I, I would say he's still the number two center. I think he could play guard too, but he's a guy that has some experience you wouldn't feel terrible about if he had to take some snaps. Cameron Cooper is another guard you could see potentially in the rotation depending on what happens. And then uh, as far as swing tackle goes, I think it'll be the Mizzou transfer, Bobby Lawrence, six foot nine, 330 pounds. He's got a huge frame, still getting his feet underneath him in this system. The guy I'm really intrigued by is true freshman Tanner Morley, six foot seven, 320 pounds out of Valor Christian. I don't want to get too carried away or anything like that, but I think he will be a starting tackle in 2024. And honestly, wouldn't shock me if he potentially played a little bit at the end of the season if there were some injuries or something like that. Obviously, you're hoping to have some continuity in that starting five, which they did not have at all last year. If they more or less can have the same starting five for all 12 regular season games, I think CSU is probably a bowl team. I wouldn't say that they have killer depth or anything like that, but also I know that some of these junior college transfers are still kind of getting their feet underneath them as well. It's going to take them some time to develop in the system. I don't want to get too overreactionary and write anybody off prematurely or something like that. You got to give some of these guys time. All right, moving over to the defensive side. At defensive end, Mohamed Kamara, 6'1", 250-pound grad student, the best pure pass rusher in the Mountain West. He'll be an outside linebacker slash edge, kind of like what Shaq Barrett does for the Buccaneers in the NFL But no matter what you call him, no matter what you label his position, he is a heat-seeking missile coming after the quarterback. I think he's in for a double-digit sack season. And what's been cool to see is just that he's really embraced his role as a leader. There's a ton of talent in that room, especially freshmen and sophomores. It's a a lot of really intriguing up-and-coming talent in that defensive line. 
And Mo has taken it upon himself to be the leader of that group to show them what it takes. He's been pretty open with me when it comes to the lack of player leadership that he had when he was kind of up and coming. And I'm not going to speculate on individuals, but there's a certain transfer that comes to mind. Anyways, Mo's a stud. He could start anywhere in the country. He certainly had interest. And the fact that he was willing to come back for another year in this program, I, sp- I think it speaks volumes to the individual that he is. I would love to see him rewarded for it with a monster season because he's definitely good enough to be the conference defensive player of the year to have a Shaq Barrett type season. At the other defensive end spot, I'm predicting Tony Pierce Jr., six foot one, 250 pound defensive lineman, one of three NDSU transfers. I think all three of them are going to start. But talking about Tony specifically, He comes over after spending five seasons with the Bison, played in 52 games, 19 starts, 99 career tackles, 14 and a half for a loss, eight sacks. That's what's really intriguing. I think they have a group of pass rushers that can be elite. Mo, Tony Pierce, um, even from the interior, some of these guys, you know, Baratow and, and Grady Kelly, Norvell talked about wanting those guys to be more active pass rushers. I guess I kind of blew the reveal there, but that's why I think the starting four will be Mo Kamara and Tony Pierce at the ends, and then Baratow and Grady Kelly in the interior. But on top of that, you're still going to see James Mitchell get some snaps at defensive tackle. I think you could see Tyler Quinn play defensive end or defensive tackle. Newark at Kuth is a defensive end that I think will be in the mix. Sophomore was getting some reps with the twos. I've heard good things about um, Whitfield Powell and Marshawn Oxley. I mean, really all of these guys. I don't want to leave anybody out. Obviously, Hidetori Hanada is the one that's really intriguing coming over from Japan. It wouldn't shock me if they get him in in some red zone type scenarios at defensive tackle because he's just so strong. He manhandles dudes. But he's also really raw as a prospect and, you know, expecting him to be able to contribute in you know, break down plays and react in the open field when there's all that space. That could be a tall task early on in the season. I mean, the guy's never even played real football. And going one-on-one in drills and practice and doing it in a live game scenario, those are two completely different things. I just want to make sure that Ram fans have realistic expectations and are fair of what they, you know, expect of him. Because to, to do what he's doing is incredible enough to even just be on the roster coming across the world, playing a new sport, and being under a spotlight that no walk-on would normally be under. It's a lot. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. He's obviously an incredible individual, really driven, a freak athlete. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him to figure out a way to make this work. I'm just saying I wouldn't expect him to be a three-down player anytime soon. All right, the last thing I want to say on the defensive linemen... As some freshmen, I'm really intrigued by Kennedy McDowell and Javion Smith-Combs. Don't expect either of them to play a ton early on, but I definitely wouldn't be shocked either if they get some action here in non-conference play. Both those guys have incredibly bright futures. The the future of that D-line is is just awesome. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to get into my preseason top 25. We'll go through this once every week. 
Obviously, we'll update it as the season goes on. But I do want to shout out the homies over at Breckenridge Brewery. We love our Breck brews at DMVR, and it's because they have a beer for any occasion. There's no better way to do anything than doing it with an ice-cold Breck brew in hand. They've been doing it for 33 years, and it all comes down to their love and passion for making good beer. It's made with 100% renewable energy. you got to love that. And you've got to love the endless variety that they offer. Avalanche Amber Ale, Fun Slinger, uh, Broncos Country Pale Ale. You can't go wrong there. I'm a big Breck Mountain Beach Sour guy. It's the perfect amount of sweetness, tartness. Neither is overwhelming. They just, they nailed it. Check out the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com. Find a brew near you. If you're out exploring, doing Colorado things, maybe with a a cold beer in hand, you're probably going to need some sunglasses. Take on the sun with gear that's built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all either. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you lose or break your pair, even day one, they're going to send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. If you want to check it out in person, you can shop the entire collection at their brand new location in the Park Meadows Mall, full stop shop for all things Shady Rays. If you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. Exclusively for our listeners, though, Shady Rays is giving out the best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com, use the code DNVR for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Finally, when you get hurt, Bax and Shanker is here to help. Bax and Shanker wins for Colorado families. They have been helping those who are seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years. They're free until they win money in your case. No upfront fee to speak with you about your case. No fee while they work on your case. No fee unless they win your case and win money for you. Bax and Shankers won over $1 billion for their clients, now with even more locations, serving all of Colorado, including neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Inglewood, and Fort Collins. Bax and Shanker has the strength and power to win your case with more than 30 lawyers and 100 staff. Bax and Shanker helps with all kinds of injury cases when you weren't at fault, car accident, motorcycle, ride, share, pedestrians, trucks. They can even help if you're injured at work. Call Bax and Shanker at 222-2222 to find out if you have a case for free. Bax and Shanker wins. All right, before we get out of here, I figured I would dive just briefly into my preseason top 25. I'm not going to do a deep dive into every team or anything like that, but I just wanted to give you guys a general idea of how I view the national college football landscape going into the season. So first things first, number one, Georgia, preseason number one. I just believe if you won the national championship in principle, you should be the number one team going into the year. They do have a lot of question marks as far as, you know, replacing key contributors from these past couple of seasons on both sides of the ball. But we'll see if our old friend Mike Bobo can figure it out offensively for the Bulldogs now that Todd Munkin is working with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And number two, I've got the Michigan Wolverines. I think with J.J. McCarthy back, they have the least question marks out of any team in the top five as far as the QB position goes. On top of that, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards is as strong of a one-two punch in the backfield as you'll see in the country this year. I'd be pretty surprised if the Wolverines were not undefeated going into the October 28th trip to Michigan State. That trip, along with the trip to Happy Valley and Penn State, 
and their home game against Ohio State very likely going to decide the season for Michigan. At number three, I've got Ohio State. I really love running back Travion Henderson. Marvin Harrison Jr. being back is is great. Really, they probably have the best receiving core in the FBS. But I'm just a little bit more confident in Michigan at the moment, and I just feel like they've really established their identity as bullies under Jim Harbaugh, and I feel like it's the year for the Wolverines. We shall see. At four, Roll Tide, Alabama. Really excited about the receiving duo of Ja'Cory Brooks and Jermaine Burton. Jace McClellan, a running back, should be in for a big year. But kind of some question marks at QB for the first time in a while. Replacing Bryce Young is going to be a challenge. I think it'll be Notre Dame transfer Tyler Buckner. I'd personally rather it be Milrow. He's a better athlete and maybe less of a pure pocket passer, but just the type of dynamic player that can take over a game. Anyways, kind of a prove-it year for Nick Saban and the Tide. At five, I've got Florida State, led by quarterback Jordan Travis. Florida State sneaky, a sneaky national championship potential. At six, I've got Penn State, another team I'm really high on. They just play a tough schedule. Seven, LSU. I think with Jaden Daniels, they're the team to look out for to make a splash. You know, last year was kind of Tennessee. This year, it's the Tigers. At eight, I have Caleb Williams and USC. The Trojans getting all kinds of preseason love, and on paper, I get it. They have speed and talent at the skill positions out the wazoo. My issue with Lincoln Riley teams and Alex Grinch defenses is that they don't have any interest in tackling or being physical at all. I mean, Tulane kicked their ass. And I just need to see more from them defensively before I feel comfortable putting them in the top five, despite the fact that I think they have the best quarterback in the country. I think they're probably going to score 40, 50 points a game. But again, can they stop anybody? Because there's a lot of talent in that Pac-12, including my number nine, Washington, Michael Penix Jr. back, led by Kalen DeBoer, head coach, former Fresno State head coach. I think he's brilliant. I mean, if you look at what he did with the Bulldogs or in his short stint as O.C., At Indiana, I think he just does a really good job of putting his quarterback in a position that takes advantage of his skills. They've got a lot of talent at receiver and defensive line. Really tough task for Boise State in that week one matchup, but also an opportunity to, you know, make a make a statement for the Mountain West. And number 10, I've got Clemson, but they're a team that I think very easily could run the table and and be in the CFB playoff. Defensively, I, I expect them to be awesome. And I think I think they'll be better offensively than what we've seen the last couple of years. I really love Shipley, their running back. I think he's going to be an all-ACC type player. Um, Really comes down to Klubnik being able to make a leap. All right, we're going to kind of rapid fire here. At number 11, I've got Utah. Cam Rising is back. They're going to be one tough team. They've been the most consistently tough program in the Pac-12 for five years now. Sneaky team to look out for. Uh, 12, Tennessee. I do think they're going to take a a step back this year. At 13, I've got Notre Dame, a team that's getting some love. Ended the season strong after a slow start this past year under Marcus Freeman. They had Sam Hartman at quarterback, former Wake Forest starter. And I expect them to flirt with the top 10 for the majority of the season. At 14, I've got Oregon State. It's fun to have Oregon State ranked ahead of Oregon. I just think their run game, I think they're well coached. They're just going to really beat the hell out of teams, and I'm looking forward to following them. At 15, I have Texas, and 
out of principle, I almost wanted to leave Texas out of the preseason top 25 just because how many years in a row have we done this? They have the talent. On paper, they have the talent this year. I mean, if Quinn Ewers can make a big jump, I think they're a top 10 team. But honestly, I'm with I'll believe it when I see it territory with the Longhorns, and I, I just I couldn't put them in my top 10. I couldn't even put them above a couple of these other teams, Notre Dame, Oregon State, who really impressed down the stretch last season. At 16, I have got Kansas State, no more Deuce Vaughn. He is killing it for the Dallas Cowboys. I love Will Johnson at quarterback. Big, athletic guy with a a strong arm. This is just the type of team that is going to be a thorn in the side of anybody that they play. They could be the reason a team like Texas or Oklahoma, you know, doesn't live up to to its potential. At 17, I have got Oregon Bo Nix back for what feels like his 50th season of college football. Hey, no hate, though. I respect it. College is great. Stay as long as you can. 18, I've got Wisconsin. I think the Badgers are a sneaky team to make some noise under Luke Fickle this year. Braylon Allen at running back is awesome. Uh, Tanner Mordecai, I think, is a step up from Graham Mertz. And the fact that Wisconsin is able to avoid Michigan and Penn State on the schedule gives them a really strong opportunity to make a run at the Big Ten championship game. Keeping it moving, at 19, we have Oklahoma. At 20, we have TCU, who here uh, here's a preseason hot take. They will not finish the year ranked in the top 25. I just think naturally they're going to regress a little bit after a year that they won so many fluky matchups. 21, that's where we get to the G5 representation. I've got Tulane, then 22, UTSA. UTSA is my preseason pick to represent the G5 in the Fiesta Bowl. Hoping it's the Mountain West, but I think with the schedules that these teams play, it's going to be tough. I do have Boise State at 23, Texas A&M, who should be much better at 24. And at 25, I have North Carolina, mostly just because of Drake May. I thought about putting Iowa, who should be really good. I thought about putting Troy for more G5 representation. But I I just went with one of the, if not the best quarterbacks in the country in Drake May. I think they're an 8-9 win team. But yeah, that's my preseason top 25. We'll go through it weekly. Some weeks it'll be, you know, faster than others. If there's a lot of chaos, it might be a longer segment, but most weeks it'll probably be even shorter than this. Just think it's a fun way to give you an idea of kind of what I think about the national landscape and I'm participating in this pod poll. So might as well let the the people know how my ballot shakes out. All right, we'll wrap up the position preview series on the next pod. We'll talk linebackers, the secondary, and special teams. We'll give a recruiting update as well. Shout out to all of you for continuing to support the content. Much love. Go Rams. Peace. Probably never make it when you listening to that right now. I said we on now.